With me in the SCANA studio today are Don Mathis, who is president of the Lee County Historical Society, Jansen Cox, who is the former executive director of the Cotton Museum in Bishopville, and Dr. Eric Emerson, who is the director of the South Carolina Department of Archives and History. And we're going to talk about what's going on in Lee County in terms of the Historical Society. And with Eric, we're going to talk about county historical societies in general. So, gentlemen, welcome to the journal. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. And, um, Don, this all came from an email you sent to me, and then I started doing some digging, and I thought, gosh, one of our newest counties has got a very active historical society. How did all this come about? Well, like uh, so many, I'm sure so many small towns in South Carolina back at the time of our nation's bicentennial celebrations, uh, we began, the Historical Society in Bishopville began in, in 1976. I think there was a, a committee appointed by the county to look at ways that the, that the city or the county even could celebrate our bicentennial. And one of the things that came out of that was the formation of the Lee County Historical Society, okay. which at the time existed only among our wonderful citizens who love history and have all have family heritages and family stories and some live in family historic homes all around. So they got together and uh, out of a mutual love of the past uh, decided to form a, a social group, a society to perpetuate the study and discussion of history and historical events and people who've made uh, Lee County and the state really uh, our whole PD area over there, uh, have made it um, just a, a wonderful place to come visit and to live and to raise a family in. So our historical society then began in the 70s, mid-70s, 1970s, and continues today. And we have still a very active group. Through the years, the uh, membership has varied. And um, now we're roughly at about 100 local citizens who still come to quarterly meetings now. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, anyway, we're having just a continuation of our uh, love of history and sharing of historical events with our with our members. Okay. Now, Eric, this is a, a little bit different story from a lot of the historical societies in South Carolina, some of which go back a lot further than 76. I think, ha- how does this compare across the state? Uh, because the Confederation of Historical Societies is still based out of the archives, right? Well, to some extent it is. I mean, we, we had to, uh, during budget cuts, uh, which are all some of the administrative support we had offered since its founding in 1962. And so um, and, and since that time, uh, budget items, uh, our budget has gotten better, and so we've been able to have more staff members involved with Confederation. Um, we've worked very closely with the organization since its founding in Columbia, which coincided with the centennial of the Civil War. And uh, the organization really didn't get started until uh, 1964, uh, after its initial meeting in 1962. It met in Batesburg-Leesville, and it was a very robust organization in the 1960s. I mean, there were county historical societies and museums throughout South Carolina. We estimated there were probably 5,000 South Carolinians that belonged to local historical societies or local museums in the, in the 1960s, and that was really kind of the heyday of, of uh, when you talk about local history. Um, sadly, uh, that's diminished rapidly over the past decade, decade and a half, and um, it's really a much smaller, less robust organization than it was at one time. And in contrast to, to Lee County, which, again, compared to others, is a newer organization, but it's still going strong. If you get 100 people show up quarterly for meetings, Don, that's very impressive. Well, I'll correct that um, if, I, if I might. Uh, we don't have the whole membership to show up for our quarterly meetings, uh, but, um, but we do have a good active group, a very uh, supportive and patronizing group. Still, but the, the fact that you can have quarterly meetings and get a decent or a good, a good attendance sh- shows an interest in, in the county, and I, th- I think that's to your credit. And Jansen? You and I go way back to the American Association for State and Local History and back when you were in Charlestown Landing. That's right. Uh, um, and, again, you were involved in the Confederation when it was... When it was back when it was formed. I was at the Citadel Museum at that time in Charleston. So uh, we've been around a long time. Well, <laughs> you've got two museums in Lee County. So let's talk about that. The Cotton Museum... I've known about for a while. I have been to the Cotton Museum. Uh, 
but I didn't know about your military museum. But let's talk about the Cotton Museum first. Well, the South Carolina Cotton Museum came from a different emphasis because from a community meeting they identified they needed to do something for tourism to attract tourism in, being on I-20, the main corridor going to and from Myrtle Beach. And uh, the local man that runs the lumber yard, Robert Peoples, said, let's do a cotton museum. This is where we grow cotton. There's no other cotton museums around. So um, that began the effort, and that was in 1993. We first had a storefront, and then around uh, 98, we got the newer building, the Gold Kiss building, and that's why I retired from Charlestown Landing. I came to Bishopville, and uh, then we start working on making the museum bigger, better, expanding the collections. That has been the efforts we've made. Probably one of the neatest things all the way around is to realize that we went from public money to now we're all funded by private money. And that's a major change for most museums. But um, that's the way we planned it and worked at it. Well, again, that's, in this day and age, that's an incredible story. As any kind of museum around the country struggles for funding, they, they generally look to the public sector. And you're, you're funded from the private sector. I have not been to the latest iteration. You talked about the new building. I went back, my first visit was with the storefront. Store. So how are you interpreting cotton, the story of cotton in your museum? The story of cotton starts from, we approach it more from the agricultural point of view, but from the earliest days where we have a basic exhibit on the first cotton planter in South Carolina, it was our second governor, Joseph West, mm-hmm. at the Lord Proprietor's Plantation in mm-hmm. Charlestown. So uh, we bring it all the way through up to the textiles. We even cover textiles. We have textile machinery in the museum. So uh, we have everything from Eli Whitney Gin all the way up to the ages. So if you need a thumbnail sketch of cotton, you'll get the education right there in the museum itself. And Jansen, if I could uh, interrupt and throw in too, uh, one thing in the Cotton Museum that's fascinating to me is we have a full-size crop duster hanging from the (laughs) ceiling back there. (laughs) It's really a fascinating exhibit. Some people might not realize what crop dusting was about. I mean, these used to call the little piper cubs, the puddle jumpers that would they were everywhere in the South. The South that I grew up in the 1950s, you go out of the city and somebody was having and it wasn't always cotton. Sometimes it was soybeans, but they were dusting the crops from the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, do they still do that? Oh, they yeah, still sure. crop dust. A little historical footnote <laughs> for you. Uh, these little labels you see on packages about the Surgeon General warnings and so forth and what the chemicals are in the item came from a crop duster accident in Lee County is where that came from because the pilot almost died from the chemicals he was taking around with him Mm -hmm. and a chemist in Maryland came up with what he thought would save his life and it did and then a lawsuit came by and that's when we started getting those labels all came from crop dusting in Lee County. That is a great story. I frequently get challenged outside of South Carolina can you relate something to South Carolina and it's not very difficult but that's that's something that I'm going to file away from my I can bring this back to South Carolina. The Surgeon General and Health Works. <laughs> and not only that, to, to Lee County. And uh, if I could also help Jansen get into the uh, real modern age with the cotton, the shirt I have on over here, you see, the polo shirt, mm-hmm. is um, actually the cotton is grown in South Carolina. The shirt is made in South Carolina uh, by a young entrepreneurial farmer down in Kings Tree, Williamsburg, Williamsburg County. County. And he um, has taken it upon himself to grow the cotton. In fact, I can go contact him, and he can tell me the actual field where this shirt, this cotton came from, and the shirt that I have on. That's neat. And and another thing about cotton is, back when I was still teaching at the university, um, I had friends in Calhoun County. I'd come back with a small basket of cotton bowls, and then ask people to. You know, you understand why the gym was important. Try to separate the seeds from the lint. Mm-hmm. Do you have that kind of hand-on experience? We do that. We do that with the school groups. Uh, we also made up several years ago, thanks helping from the archives there, 
we had 70 cotton gins we distributed to schools throughout South Carolina to carry on that type of teaching effort, trying to teach students that the seed has to be separate from the fiber. Oh, wait a minute, you sent 70 cotton gins around the we, we, hand, hand. hand crank cotton gins for classroom use. And uh, we had 70 of them made and um, with a program through the archives. And um, we gave them to teachers, and they're still being used in the classrooms. We repair them also at the museum if they break down. They bring them back, we re repair them. That's interesting. And, of course, people are so far removed now from the rural areas, even though we are still predominantly a rural state. You know, most folks think cotton, you know, Don, well, it's, it's in a shirt. They have no idea where it grows, what it, took, what it takes to uh, produce it, and how the introduction of or rather the invention of the cotton gin uh, literally transformed South Carolina and the South economically and socially. I think that you've got a museum that covers this. So you, when you do cotton, it's really the whole cotton story. It's not just... It's a whole cotton story, and also we bring it to... We stay current. Hmm. In other words, with the school programs, it's important that we teach the students that cotton is important. It's in our food. It's in most of our products. And... Very seldom do people pay attention to it. Now, how is cotton in our food? Cottonseed oil. The best oil in the world is cottonseed oil. Okay. All oil is graded off of cottonseed oil. Everybody knows that, Walter. Well, I just I just was trying to... I used to use cottonseed from a, a local gin. It, was, it used to be great mulch. Yes, it was. Cotton holes, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had one speaker, uh, who uh, Dr. Jerry Bush, who actually... Uh, operates and uh, and runs the uh, financial the book keeps the books for the cotton gin down in uh, St. Charles and uh, I had him to come as one of my guest speakers one night it was the actual study of the what happens to the cotton once it's starting to be gin is fascinating and in fact he I think uh, Jansen could um, back me on this but he said cotton is the most regulated or studied product produced I was just fascinated by how how many inspections and evaluations a, a cotton goes through before it can actually be sold to some company to make a shirt. What's all this regulation about? Well, it's the quality of the cotton. And this is one of the things people do not understand is the quality of the American cotton. Um, it will outwear, outlast any cotton grown anywhere else in the world. And it's thanks to our farmers and our, our seed companies on developing the cotton seed quality that we have. Cotton is here. Blue jeans made with South Carolina cotton made in this country will outlast any others three to one. Mm -hmm. Easy. Yeah. And of course a South Carolina firm, Coker Feed and Seed, has pretty well led the way of the development of a lot oh, of those Oh, the cotton. Coker brothers did so much for cotton. The one sad thing is that we're going to plastic now. I hate us getting away from our money. Our money is made out of cotton. Your is not made out of paper. It's made out of 80% cotton. And um, we do not grow enough cotton in South Carolina to make all the paper money, the so-called paper money, that we use in one year in the United States. I know cotton production has come back in South Carolina after years of, uh, of decline, and it's still a major product in places like Lee County, Williamsburg mm -hmm. County. Yeah. Calhoun County, Orangeburg. Orangeburg. You have this new project, uh, Don, that you mentioned, a county archives. Mm -hmm. Well, um, the going back to the historical society um, in the mid '90s, one of the last uh, heirs to the property, the James home uh, in Bishopville, uh, passed away. And the family, or the heirs, gave that uh, property to the Historical Society. It's a home, the James home. Apollos James uh, was a local, uh, very successful businessman, banker, farmer, and a legislator in the early 1900s. And um, the home was built and finished in the, uh, like, like 1905, I think is when it was actually finished. But anyway, it was turned over in the mid-90s to the Historical Society. And then we began to receive some things up there. People would donate them to the Historical Society to be put in the James home. 
and so uh, that was that was our office. And uh, so through the years, we've had things donated to us, but it's uh, a you know a period home there, so we didn't have any kind of temperature control and that type thing, climate control. And so for some time, there, there has been a discussion in the county. We need we need an archives. We need a county place where people can bring their family records and uh, that type thing to be kept in a safe, secure environment and to be available for other researchers. So discussion has been going on, I know, at least for 20 years. And we've had one particular individual, Mr. Cecil Stevens, who uh, is a county auditor. He uh, has been a kind of a driving force to get an archives established. And so in the past year or so, we've gotten a a lot more involvement from county council who um, have gotten on board uh, for establishing an archives and then have have provided funding for us. So we now have a a place for an archives that has, uh, that is the old Woodward Memorial Library there on on, uh, right in Main Street, Bishopville. The library has in the past decade has moved to a different building in town, leaving that vacant. Uh, we had a uh, non-operating chamber of commerce for a period of a few years, and they moved into the part of the Woodward uh, Library facility. So the archives uh, committees uh, got together, and um, they decided that that would be the place for the archives as well. So we have a person in town, and Jansen can vouch for our good friend Ronnie Williams. Ronnie is one of those persons in a small town who is a uh, not a do-gooder, but a good doer. <laughs> Ronnie gets involved in something, and I'm telling you, and he's one of those people who operates behind the screens and gets stuff done. So Ronnie got involved with the archives as well and uh, has been leading up all of our committee work to establish the archives and has, uh, with the supervision also from county council, and uh, certainly Mr. Stevens has uh, just been instrumental in getting us off the ground. So we now have a building. It's uh, air-conditioned appropriately for museum-quality things. We now have our committees functioning. Uh, I'm helping our good worker, Retta Tyndall, on the acquisition committee. And so uh, we're now really beginning to be in a position where we can receive some items uh, from from donators uh, who give it to the archives to be placed in there. We've had uh, just received a huge order of research materials uh, books. So we're going to be we're going to be an uh, archival research center is what we're, we're shooting for and hope to have to be open for business maybe sometime this fall. Okay. Eric, how unusual is that? Well, there are a number of counties that have archives for private materials for private papers. Um, Camden, I, th- I think uh, Debbie Rowland at, at Calhoun County has a wonderful collection of, of photographs yeah. and probably has yeah. an archive. Of, yes, Charleston has an Charleston. archive as well as the Historical Society. Right, right. So you And you have private, and that's a, a really large private repository, the South Carolina Historical Society. And then you have uh, a large one at uh, South Carolina Anna Library at the University of South mm-hmm. Carolina. But there, there are counties, Darlington County is another example, that, that have archives of uh, private papers in addition to those counties that have archives of, of public records as well. so And in some cases, I'm sure there's probably a little bit of crossover in well, certain counties. I think we need to draw the distinction is, for example, we've got a state archives, but you are public, re- that is public records. That's correct. And we're talking here about private papers. That's correct. Um, and, for example, here in Richland County, there is not a Richland County archives, but there is a very large, besides the, the university's collection, but there is a very large local history section of the Richland County Library, which is, I think, something you find in in other counties as well. Sure. But but again, Don, I'm just impressed by the, the local enthusiasm and the ability to get things done. You are a small county, and obviously there are a lot of other good doers besides Mr. Williams. Yes, we have. Like I mentioned, County Council, uh, Travis Williams uh, has been one person. Travis has uh, jumped in behind this movement and really supported it. But County Council, all on board to, to help support us. And um, then, like I said, we have other citizens in the county who are, just, who are getting deeply involved in it. So well, we're real, real excited about it. 
One of the things I would hope you would move to that archives is just something very simple like the minutes of your meetings going back to 1976. That is an incredible record of the growth and development of an active historical society. And that's going to be of interest not just to the folks in Lee County, but somewhere there's going to be a graduate student, I guarantee you, who's going to be studying the interest in local state and local history, Jansen. That, that happens all the time. We, we have a library. We also have archives within the Cotton Museum. Of course, we've been dealing with oral histories, both with our veterans and with the cotton farmers, and also the Dr. Mary Bethune Park Project. So um, we've been doing a lot of things in Lee County, which is not exactly South Carolina Cotton Museum business. So how are you going to relate to this archives? Are you going to then shift some of that to the, to the archives? or The archives, as I understand, is going to be more genealogical. We do have some genealogical material we've gathered, which I'm willing to send it on down there. Because one of the things we've, in the museum profession, we've always tried to do, and we used to do it here in South Carolina. If it was a public document, it went to the state archives. If it was a private thing, it went to the Caroliniana. You know, that, that's where it went. And uh, if it was genealogy, you give it to the Historical Society in Charleston. This is how we looked at it years ago in the museum. But um, what we got caught into was people wanting things kept in Lee County that dealt with Lee County. Mm -hmm. So this is when I talked to the board and we changed our collection policy to take in more community material. And that's pretty common. I mean, you see it, communities throughout South Carolina that really don't want to uh, send something to Columbia. That's that's always the refrain. People in Greenville, you know, I'm, I don't want to send these records to Columbia, or people in Columbia don't want to send them to Charleston. It's it's. <laughs> oh, have a, you, you, when we have an upcountry, lowcountry division. Goodness gracious! <laughs> Never <laughs> it's only heard been going of for 350 with, years. Absolutely. <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> but this is also how we got into having the Veterans Museum. Because when we acquired the building next door to us, it used to be a grocery store and a department store. And we, I have enough cotton stuff, I could fill it up. But we looked at the needs of the community. And the VFW had lost its building. The American Legion was losing its building. The membership had deteriorated to almost nothing. And we decided to go ahead and do a place, a home, for these organizations to meet. So now the American Legion, the VFW, the Ladies Auxiliary all meet in our building there. We also got the county to move the Veterans Affairs Office over to that building. So all veterans activities can take place in the Lee County Veterans Museum. Then we took the bulk of the building and we do the whole history from the American Revolutionary War to the current conflict and exhibit interpreting all those conflicts, also a Medal of Honor recipient from World War I. And then we do six of the seven uniform branches of U.S. government service. And the seventh one is one that nobody knows about. And there's 3,500 people uniformed in it, and that's the Surgeon Generals. And we're going to do exhibit for him also, or her, as such. Again, it's part of our uniform service. Mm -hmm. So every branch will be represented. And we also have a corner where we keep illustrations of those service people that have deceased. They have gone on. But we have blended into this a whole process of honoring our veterans from Lee County. When you see a uniform there, it is a uniform from one of our citizens. Have, have you assembled records of, well, you're missing all of that back the revolution, of families from what's now the Lee County area, in other words, the men and the women who have served all the way down, sort of a, an honor roll, as it were, of veterans from Lee County? We're gathering that. Fortunately, a lot of that already exists in the libraries and all. So we're not willing to repeat that. Mm -hmm. But we are finding so many uh, missing veterans, in other words, we received a whole batch of material out of Frederick, Maryland, from a man. Uh, his father had kept this material about one of his buddies from World War II who died in a Japanese POW ship off the coast of Japan. And he had kept this stuff all these years. 
And finally, he heard of us, and he sent all the material to us. Not much, but it's important to have that. And uh, here is one of our heroes that you would not know about. You no. know? It's amazing, some of the material that I've come by. Little mini stories mm-hmm. are coming out. And well, Walter, if I could add right here, also that individual citizen I talked to you about, Ronnie Williams, he, he did the mule work to get that museum up and going. I mean, he's the one who got in there and did the sawing and the painting and, and all like that. And uh, it's a, it really is an impressive exhibit. And uh, so right there in the heart of Bishopville, we've got the Cotton Museum and right beside that, the Military Museum for visitors to come and tour around. It's, it's a, it would be a wonderful, at least a half day venture to come and tour those two museums. I want to talk about that in just a minute, but we need to pause, gentlemen, and let our listeners know that this is Walter Edwards' journal. I'm talking with Don Mathis and Jansen Cox from Lee County and Dr. Eric Emerson from the South Carolina Department of Archives and History, and we're talking about local history and local archives, and uh, in Lee County, it's certainly thriving. Don, you mentioned tourism just before we had our break. You get visitors from all over, mostly South Carolina, Johnson. Well, we keep a log, of course, at the museum, and uh, we have people that come from every state of the Union, even Hawaii and Alaska, and uh, we have a lot of foreign people that come through, and it's interesting to see what countries they come from. So uh, it would not, as I tell our volunteers, you can sit at the front desk, and you never know who you're going to meet this day. It may be someone from India, maybe someone from Russia, someone from Japan. And every now and then, the Department of uh, Commerce in Washington will bring somebody through that wants to talk to me about cotton, which is fascinating having some of these people come through and talk to us. And we, we get quite a bit of different traffic. And we have had uh, Walter different times through the through the last few years. We have had some of the groups who who come to Bishopville to not only go through, and you've heard of Mr. Pearl Fryer's Topiary Garden. I'm oh, sure oh, everyone knows oh, about that. So they'll come to Bishopville tour that and then come to the Cotton Museum and tour that and the Military Museum. And the James House property backs up to the Cotton Museum, actually. So a few times we've had tour groups to want to come in out the back door of the Cotton Museum into the back gate of the James Home property and um, and then come in and, and tour the uh, the James House um, and I've met some groups up there to do that. One aspect I would say is that uh, connected to the James Hall property there is the uh, Camellia Garden. Uh, I'm, I'm not a gardener myself, um, but anyway, they have the, uh, the James family through the 1900s developed a real collection of uh, camellias. So uh, that garden is uh, back there that can be toured and has been toured by some groups who came through. Again, this is this is part of the undiscovered tourism attractions of, of South Carolina, and it's interesting when you f- first started off, the local said the local folks in Lee County said, history is what we can do to attract people to Lee County. Now, it, Eric, we've got some other stories around the state we can talk about. Sure, sure. Well, I, I wanted to interject that I think one of the things that benefits Lee County is you have first of all you have a wonderful signage along I twenty, and you're in the close proximity to I twenty. So when people are making uh, about to make that trip, let's say from Myrtle Beach or somewhere coming off 95 and going west, uh, seeing that sign that says, you know, the Cotton Museum, I mean, that's a nice respite for them. And and it's it's kind of, uh, it's a, a wonderful advantage for Lee County that, that some of our other county historical societies don't have in places like Sherraw or, or Bennettsville, someplace that's further off the road. And, um, and so I, I think that been a number of efforts through the years for for heritage tourism to to pull people off the interstates uh, and and to try to get them into our local communities, our local historical societies. But one that's that is a does a, a really robust job and, and a great job is is Calhoun County, of course. Our, our friend Debbie Rowland, who's the director there at the Calhoun County Museum, that's a true success story for South Carolina. I think the uh, the Camden Museum and Archives uh, also does a, a really good job. Um, with especially the weapons collection they have, which is, is is renowned. But it's really a task trying to get people, especially tourists who are traveling through, to 
take that side trip, um, even when you have great signage, to, to go too far off the interstate. It, I think it's a, a byproduct of our society today that everything is, is based on time. And um, people don't take scenic highways the way they used to. That it's, and so they don't get to see, really see the areas of South Carolina that are so beautiful, our rural areas. Well, and, you know, and Walter, if I could interject, if I might, I do want to reach over here and pat Jansen Cox on the back because he has done wonders for our town. Uh, not only in establishing, helping establish that cotton museum and, and encouraging and helping establish the military museum, but uh, I'd like for him to comment on uh, the statues that he uh, encouraged from the, from the beginning for Doc Blanchard's um, uh, memorial statue out there. Uh, one of the speakers I've had for the Historical Society was Dr. Mary Elizabeth Blanchard, who was the youngest sister of Doc Blanchard, as you all know, the Heisman Trophy winner from Bishopville. Uh, both were children there in town. And uh, Jensen was instrumental in getting a uh, memorial statue built and put there um, just really outside the Cotton Museum. Um, it, it's a wonderful tribute to his work for the county as well. Well, now, Don, I know who Doc Blanchard is. You mentioned Heisman Trophy, but a lot of folks out there aren't going to recognize who Doc Blanchard was, Jensen. Felix Doc Blanchard, the only Heisman Trophy recipient from the state of South Carolina. And where did he, he play? He played at West Point, United States Military Academy. He had, he received the Heisman 45, and his, his fellow player, Glenn, um, got it in 46. It's the only university or college that has two Heisman Trophy recipients right together. And what position did he play? We're kind of a halfback, and, and uh, Glenn Davis a fullback. Is that yeah. the way it worked? Is that? I think Glenn Davis was Mr. Inside. Right, Blanche so he was Mr. Outside. In a, in a, yeah. Yeah. Well, we mentioned stories, you know, the small stories. That's what makes South Carolina history so rich. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's not just the important documents in the state archives, and Eric, and I'm not poo-pooing that, believe, believe me, but the personal papers of some of those public officials tell a story that, that official documents do not. Right. Absolutely. And and so that's that's I, I think that they complement each other very well. So if you want to if you really want to get a, a look at the people who have shaped South Carolina politically and um, you have to look at both the public record and then go to these these wonderful private repositories that were have that have their private papers. Well the collections we're talking about now are archives there've been archival materials like this going all the way back to the Egyptians and papyri and what have you. Now, Eric, in terms of public records, things, they're digitized. I mean, do you have, how do you preserve that kind of thing? Well, well, it's, it's, that's really the wave of the future. I mean, public records are, are going to be all digital very soon. I mean, state government's producing very few paper records. And so we've had to prepare for that. Um, this past year, we just implemented the South Carolina Electronic Records Archive. We, we got that up and running, and we did that using a, a software that was a kind of an out-of-the-box solution, the only one that we could find that allows us to ingest electronic records from state agencies, index them, and make them available to the public. Uh, and then we've also did, done the same thing uh, with the creation of the South Carolina Historic Property Record, which uh, has site files for um, historical properties uh, throughout South Carolina. And that's our way of serving the public in the the means in the way that they would like to be served. I mean, people want, um, especially younger people, want access to all these great records from wherever they are, from but their personal device. They don't want to have to come. Right, to absolutely. They don't. They don't want to sit. And, and so they're they're genealogists who've been doing genealogy for decades, who who love nothing more than coming to the research room and sitting down and looking through probate records or looking, trying to find their family members through these old papers, but generations to come will will never ever visit the archives but will have access to these records digitally remotely from anywhere in the world and that's the future and so it kind it's it does not in a way it, it doesn't bode well for local historical societies and local museums and, and it's for places like the Lexington County Museum which has a wonderful collection of historic buildings and shows kind of the lifeways of of the Dutch Fork it's, it's going to be more difficult, I believe, in the future to get young people to come to those places to see the reality, be able to touch and feel the reality of what the past was. It's, it's sad in a lot of ways that, that, you know, future generations are seeing the world through virtual lenses to where they're just seeing pictures and, and images of, of the past, and they're not 
uh, really getting to touch it and feel it and experience it. So when we give tours of the archives for third graders or eighth graders or whatever school groups that come to the archives, we let them see these great treasures that the state has produced, these wonderful records, public records, these wonderful documents. And, and you can see it touches something inside them. It's, it's, it's uh, something that they can't get anywhere else but in uh, archives by visiting an archive or visiting a state museum or visiting these wonderful organizations represented by the gentleman we have here with us today. I appreciate modern technology. It, it helps my research, but I can tell you there is nothing, there's no happier, more joyful experience than getting into a collection of documents and all of a sudden finding something that would not have been indexed, would not have been, and there, there are two sentences that help you solve, it's a piece of the puzzle that just comes to light. I mean, that, that you have a eureka moment and it's incredible. I mean, also, when you're handling the document. When I was, you know, going back to my youth working with the Henry Lawrence papers, you know, I was handling papers that Henry Lawrence wrote, founding father of, of this country. Now, when I wrote the history of South Carolina in 1998, the slave census documents for the United States, the University of Michigan had put everything online and I could go there and find out how many people in Williamsburg County owned slaves by various categories. Before that, you had to go to the document. And we had the printed documents in the University Archives. We had the original documents sent slave in. And you had to physically count each one, you know, which makes me think about the work that George Rogers and Chalmers Davidson you know, and people like that did. Incredible, because that's literally what they had to do. And all I had to do was go online and not only got the number, I got the names. So it does have its, it does have some advantages. It, it does. And it's, it, it, makes, it makes our lives as historians a lot easier. But um, I, I agree with you that that tactile nature of holding history and, and, and thinking about the person that held that record in, you know, before you is, uh, I don't think there's anything like it in the world. Well, and again, the tactile experience going back to the Cotton Museum, if you've held a bowl of cotton and you tried to separate the seeds. I used to, one of my dreams as a, as a professor was actually to take a class down to Calhoun County and have them pick cotton. Of course, the, the university lawyers just went bananas on the idea of, of that. <laughs> because people don't understand, if, you, if you're picking cotton in the field, what it's going to do to your fingers. A lot of blood going into that cotton. There's a lot to be said to really doing it. Yeah. You know, when you touch something, you learn a lot more than if you just read about or see it in a picture screen. Yeah. And people talk about pick a bale of cotton from the, uh, hey. You're not going to pick a bale of cotton in a day. No. So, but no. Another, another thing about the original documents, the comments we receive is the handwriting. People are absolutely amazed at the handwriting. And so many people today cannot read the handwriting of the old documents, which is a problem. We, we, we always ask children to read script. We'll, yes. we'll, we'll show a record and we'll say, okay, who can, and, and we'll try to find one that's very well written. You know, these would have been the best scribes the best with the best handwriting in South Carolina that would have uh, transcribed these, these treaties and things like that. And, and usually maybe 10, 15% of the children can actually read script and the rest of them just can't, which is really limiting if you think about future fields in which, you know, they won't be able to be anthropologists or historians or, you know, in, unless you can unless you can read script. And it's, you know, it's not being taught in a lot of places. I have so. several, several times I have people bring something in and ask me to read it for them from older documents and they cannot read the older writing, especially the older English. Don, I bet you I bet the original minutes of your organization might be in manuscripts as opposed to type in a lot of them. The ones I've seen are handwritten, yeah. and they're just in the cabinets up there, uh, metal file cabinets in the upstairs room of the James Hall, you know. Well, those need to go to your archive. <laughs> right. but, but what I'm saying is, yeah. having read organizational minutes, is somebody might have been a great secretary, say, for five or six years, and then a new one came along, and all of a sudden it looked like, you know, a chicken got some ink on his fingers and went right, scratching in the, right. in the. So um, it's it's not always that you can't read script. It's who the person was writing. For example, John C. Calhoun had terrible handwriting, 
he also had a habit of as he got to the end of a line, he wanted to finish it, so he it kind of scrunched up, <laughs> so he could keep it all on one on one line. Uh, Henry Lawrence, on the other hand, had a, had beautiful handwriting, and he also had clerks who had very good very good handwriting. Re- reading historic document that's again that's part of the experience, even when they're digitized. And of course, what a lot of people want to do now when things some collections that are did when they're made digital, they're also transcribing them. Sure, that makes it again easier. But you, it's it's almost soulless. I'm sorry. No, but I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Eric, we, we're sitting with the folks here from Lee County. We're local museums and his, the historical society. It's going great guns. Can you give us a picture across the state? We've already talked about some where things are really going well, but if you were commenting, you know, the, like the Confederation, historical society membership, support for historical societies in general, um, with your, and not just here, but with your peers in other states, because like in North Carolina, I know that uh, the State Historic Preservation Officer is also the, the state archivist. Right. Well, it's, it's kind of a dismal picture, uh, especially in... in very rural counties in South Carolina, because um, 20, 30 years ago, there would have been kind of a cadre or a small group of people in that county who were uh, very devoted to, to the history, to documenting the history of the county or collecting the history of the county, and they would run uh, a local history room or something of that. And in a lot of cases, those would be sp- sponsored or paid for by the local town or the local county government. Um, and I, I guess beginning in the 1980s, with the contraction of government and local organizations wanting to uh, cut spending on on outside endeavors like that. You you see that these uh, local house museums, local historical societies started to fall on hard times. And then evidently in South Carolina, there wasn't this kind of passing of the torch to younger generations. And so I I, I hate to sound like an old codger, but, but Young people today just aren't as interested in things like that. And you see it in, not just in that, but you see it in social organizations. You see uh, the Rotary Club and, and all of these these things that had had held the, the structure of towns together through these social organizations, Lions, Rotary, uh, you know, Freemasons, uh, in, in heritage organizations, and Elks, Elks, you know. Yeah. And just they're all the Masons, absolutely. Yeah. But but now see, we actually have an example in Lee County when when Chance was talking about the VFW and the American Legion had begun to decline, and they had lost their meeting houses. And the museum, the Veterans Museum, now provides a home for those for those organizations. And their memberships have grown. The American Legion had two members five years ago. There are eighty some members now. Yeah. It's location, 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 as we say. And if I might insert, Walt, at this point on the aging population, because uh, it seems like you have to be mature to really get interested in history. Sure. <laughs> uh, I love it when I find a young person interested in history. But, uh, uh, yeah, our membership uh, is aging, and uh, we have in the past, since I've been uh, the president of the society, we've lost some several a handful of really good dedicated people so our membership uh, is is aging and we're having like many of you mentioned uh, uh, the social organizations like our churches uh, to to get young people younger people involved uh, it's a challenge and uh, and we're not really successful right now at getting our younger population involved in the historical society and that's a concern of ours. Well, I don't think it's confined to historical societies. I think it's cultural organizations in general. But see, Don, that's why your current success, I mean, as soon as you and I first had contact, I thought, this is going against the national trends. You really are. First of all, you're a young organization, relatively speaking, in terms of historical societies. You started in 1976. When y'all joined the Confederation, you probably would have been one of the, the newest organizations there. But that, in turn, has spawned two museums, a local archive, heritage tourism. Th- this is an interesting story, and I, I, and I hope that it provides some enthusiasm and some guidance for folks out there who maybe are struggling with their local historical societies that, yes, it can be done. 
Eric, you mentioned that the Confederation is getting some support now. Again, the archives is able to provide support. What support can y'all provide? Do you provide for local historical societies? Well, anytime a local historical society needs any tor- side, uh, uh, any advice, or or you know would would like for us to be involved with their organization, we're more than happy to come and uh, and speak with them. We, we we can provide speakers on a number of topics. Uh, any we can have, offer advice, um, and then we can get local organizations who are not currently active with the Confederation involved with the Confederation as well. I, I think as a number of people have passed or, or gotten out of historical organizations in these local communities to where they've become sort of morbid or, um, or, or dormant, you know, if, if people wish to restart or rekindle their local historical society, they're more than welcome to call us and, and we can get them involved in the Confederation, get them in touch with people who have faced similar issues. Yeah, and, and the, when the Confederation held its annual meeting, Jansen, that's, you and I go way back to that, um, it was not unusual to have two or three hundred people show up for the annual meeting of the Confederation. It was, it was uh, you had workshops, you had speakers, and the main thing was getting folks together, sharing similar interests, and really kind of self-help. Uh, right. So... Do, is there still an annual meeting of the Confederation? There is an annual meeting. It's 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 much reduced from from its glory days, but there is an annual meet, meeting that offers workshops and uh, um, and sessions, and you get to see how other local organizations, whoever the sponsoring organization is, how, how local societies and local museums operate, and then you also get a taste of some of the really wonderful treasures within the community that's sponsoring the landmark conference. I, I think it's very helpful for for anybody involved in a local historical society, a local museum. Uh, or a local archive to, to participate. Don, any any advice you might want to give folks? You 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 have seemed to be the spirit one of the spearheads behind this or this effort in Lee County. Well, you're too kind to say that. I don't feel like I've done very much, uh, but uh, out of my own interest and love of history uh, in my adult life, mm-hmm. um, um, I have uh, been honored to serve for six years as the president of the society, and. Um, our big challenge right now is funding. Uh, we all have, um, I guess, all across the state and every 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 office across the state is uh, facing some shortages of funding. So that's been our real challenge of, of getting financial support uh, to, to keep the James House open and operable and uh, to uh, maintain our uh, membership because right now our total source of income is membership and uh, the small amount given by the county council every year. And those amount of funds would, would be modest by any, any consideration. So um, getting younger people involved and searching and finding out a, a uh, consistent financial support, uh, those are our challenges right now. Jansen and I were talking coming over here. Um, we're constantly uh, concerned with getting the community involved, you know, just involving more people. Um, that's uh, another big challenge that we're having there, just, to, just to, to get people away from their technology, away from their TV sets, their computers, out into the community, coming to meetings and getting involved and doing things and contributing in, a, in an active and a positive way. Jansen has helped me a lot, too, by saying, Don, what we want to do is just keep getting keep offering uh, people, it's like taking a horse to water, you know, just keep offering the horse water, and hopefully at some point the community will drink. Well, it, it, it sounds like, though, I know you have challenges, but it sounds like over the last 50 years you have really done great things there in Lee County. And, Jansen, you came back home to Lee County, right? No, I'm originally from Lawrence, but lived most of my life in Charleston. Well, I knew I knew the Charleston, yeah. but but you you mentioned your farm, so I, yeah. I figured you were you, you you have now put down roots in Lee County. Well, that goes that's another story, but <laughs> you know, but again, I feel like Bishopville is my home because that's the only hometown I've had to work with, because we moved around. Dad was in textiles, so uh, I don't have a hometown. Okay, all right, gentlemen, Alfred's giving me the wind-up sign. Any any last words for our listeners before we sign off today. And Jansen, I'll start with you. I think one of the most important things for people to understand is that there's many organizations in the state that can help them with their history, and we do work together. We don't always get together as much as we used to, but um, there's a lot of avenues 
in the state for you to preserve your history, learn about your family, and remember our heritage. Okay. Don? And then getting our archives off the ground, uh, we didn't want to rediscover the wheel, okay? So I do want to express uh, our gratitude to, to Ms. Richardson over in Camden for helping us so much uh, get the groundwork laid and, uh, and that type thing. So uh, um, we've had help from a lot of other people and through the support of county council, um, we feel real encouraged what we're doing with the archives. Well, see, that's a perfect example. You, an established archives, you went to a neighboring county, and they helped you out. That's what we're talking about. Eric? Well, South Carolina has a rich and uh, fascinating history, and if I would urge people, if they're interested in their history and the history of their community, the history of where they live, uh, to, to get in touch with the Confederation, and, and we will connect them with people who, who share And you have a website they can go to. We absolutely do. So, Okay. All right, well... Don Mathis, Jansen Cox, and Eric Emerson, I want to thank you, gentlemen, for being with us today on Walter Edgar's Journal. This is Walter Edgar, and I hope you enjoyed today's journal. It's interesting and exciting what's going on in Lee County, one of our state's newest counties. It's also a little bit sobering to find out that statewide interest in local history and museums is not what it once was. It's part of our culture today, sadly, not just museums and historical societies, but organizations, civic organizations, fraternal organizations that once were the glue of communities are having a hard time. But in one of our most rural counties, a historical society, two museums, and now an archive are thriving. It's a heartwarming story in 2016. This is Walter Edgar. Join me next week for more of The Journal. Walter Edgar's Journal is a production of South Carolina Public Radio. The producer and engineer is Alfred Turner. Production of this program is made possible in part by listener contributions to the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. The views and opinions expressed on Walter Edgar's journal are not necessarily those of South Carolina Public Radio.